0: Good morning. Glad to see you guys here, smiling faces. Uh, we have been in a series a couple weeks now, and we're going to continue in, called We Are the Crossing. Um, it's titled that because We Are the Crossing. And uh, we really, we want to constantly be thinking about who we are. We want to constantly review this is who we are. The The name in itself isn't so much to the big deal, but the fact that we can see we're believers, we're Christians. What does it mean to be a Christian? Um, but then also when we look at the Crossing Church, what's what makes us distinct uh, from other churches? As we know, there's a lot of churches in this area. There's a lot of buildings. You drive down the road, you see them everywhere. So what is, what is the difference? And so every year we want to look at what does it mean to be the Crossing? We're going to approach it from different ways each time, but we'll cover basically the same things. And so this year, we've, we've seen, uh, as the website has been put up, we've seen this list of core values on the page, About Us page, who we are, core values are on there, and, and through some praying and, and decisions that Jared Scott and I made, we think it's, it'll be a, it's a good idea to go through these core values to see this is who we are. So before we've done um, some distinctive things about our beliefs and, and who we are, is, a family of servant missionaries. And these core values are about the crossing church. So they're not core beliefs, which we believe every believer needs to have. If you don't have these core beliefs, then you're not a Christian. But our core values as the crossing church, what do we value at our core? What does it mean to be a member of the crossing church? What are you saying you believe and you value if you're a member of this particular church? And so... What this is, is an opportunity for those who don't know anything about us to say, "Okay, this is what they're about. This is what they value and to make that decision whether or not you want to join this church, this local church. And for for most of us, hopefully most of us, it's an opportunity for you to say, yes, this is what I value. I'm a part of the crossing church because the things I'm hearing on these Sunday mornings, the things I'm hearing in the series, that's me. I'm a part of this. We are the crossing church. And so I hope that's the case for most. But if not, we want to be open. We want to be honest. The reason we're walking through this is because we want you to know this is what we're about. This is what we believe Scripture calls the church to be. And that's what makes us who we are. And if we don't remember who we are, then what we're doing is is really pointless. And so we constantly say this phrase, being supersedes doing. We say that a lot because we need to understand who we are matters more and once we've established who we are, everything flows from that. The doing will happen, but the doing comes out of who we are. And so this morning, our, our focus is going to be on a theological word that we really didn't want to use, but we decided it's the only word that works here. So gospel-centered ecclesiology. And ecclesiology can, can be defined simply, uh, but not with one word, simply Understanding uh, the nature, the structure of the church. It comes from the word ekklesia, which is the Greek word for this gathering of people, this group of people, an assembly of people. But we're studying what it means for this group to assemble. What do they do when they assemble? And, And like I've just said, they do what they do because of who they are. And we also use this phrase gospel centered a lot. And I want to just take a moment before we get into ecclesiology to to talk about gospel-centered because it's not uh, superlative. We just flippantly throw in front of everything to make it sound better. Like, you guys have worship, but we have gospel-centered worship. Y'all have have church, but we have gospel-centered church, so we're better. That's not what it's about. It's this reminder that everything must be rooted in, surrounding, hooked to, hinged to, flowing from, pointing to, totally dependent on the person and work of Jesus Christ. That he came, he he was incarnate into flesh, God became man, that he lived among us, that he sacrificed and he served, and he gave his life up, and in his death he he conquered death itself, he conquered what none of us could conquer, he took on the wrath of God, he suffered physically, and he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and, and we have great hope that is for sure he will return and take us home. That's the gospel and everything we are, everything we do is dependent on the gospel. If it's not centered on the gospel, it's not Christianity. And we believe that. It's it's really the most distinct thing about us. The gospel is the center of everything. And if it's not, we're not talking the church. We can't have church without the gospel. You can't have worship of God without the gospel. You can't have anything we're talking about any of these core values, they don't exist without the gospel. So everything is centered around the gospel and it's not just thrown on the front of this so we can make it sound better. It matters more than anything. All right? And and so it's got to be clear that we understand that the gospel makes us who we are and that everything we do flows from that. All right, so... We... Okay, I don't know how to go about this. We're going to talk about ecclesiology. It's the structure of the church. And, and that's made up of leaders and members. And the leaders themselves are members. And so we're going to walk through this. And, and the way I was taught ecclesiology was in a classroom with a professor who's way smarter than me for nine hours of lecture time, just on ecclesiology. I know, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so it's a systematic theology class. Ecclesiology is one of the systems of theology, and it was a lecture, and I don't want this to be a lecture, but there's facts that we need to see when we talk about ecclesiology. We need to clearly understand what elders, we're going to spend most of the time talking about what is an elder, because we have elders at the Crossing Church. Why do we call them elders? What does that mean? What do they do? Who are they? And we need to see that it's rooted in Scripture, but we're going to to try and cover three things. Who? Who's the church, or what is the church? What is leadership, and what is membership? Now, this is really part one of a two-part sermon that I'm going to do. The second part of in October, a month from now. Uh, October's not a month from now, but the sermon will be. And and a lot of the membership part of it's going to be in that sermon because it's going to be gospel-centered community. And so that's why we're going to talk a lot about leadership today. But I do want to cover first what is the church. So, there's there's notes you can take in the back. We don't ever point you to them. We should. Or maybe somebody did. I don't know. Anyway, if you want to get up and get that now, you can. If not, that's fine too. But what is the church? The New Testament uses a lot of metaphors for describing the church. So, I just want to walk through some of those metaphors. As some people say, metaphors. I actually have seven. There, there may be more. I found seven. And I want these... I'm going to point to the scripture. You can jot it down and look at it, look at it later in context. But I just want to say them out to you. So first, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 27, we corporately referred to the, the church as the body of Christ. It's also found in Ephesians 1, 22, 23. Christ is the head and we are the body. So we have leaders in this church, but Jesus is our senior pastor. Jesus is the head of the crossing church. He's the head of the church universal. He is what it's about. We are the body. And the body does what the head tells the body to do. Secondly, oh, side note. I tried to get Scott to play, well, if we are the body, what? He wouldn't do it though. I thought it would work right there. Just take a break. Scott can come up and play this song for us. All right. I'm sorry if you like that song. I'm not making fun of it, but I am. Secondly, we refer—I don't know why I do that—we're referred to as the family, and we hear "family" a lot. We're the family because God is our Father. We can see this 2 Corinthians six eighteen with God as Father; we're sons and daughters of the Father, and we are family. And so, all the implications of what family is—we see the church is family. Thirdly, it's, we're interwoven and dependent on a relationship. With God, that's demonstrated by a vine and the branches. Christ is the vine; we are the branches. That's John 15, 1 through eleven. So we got body, we have family, we have branches. Fourth, in our relationship to the world, we're referred to as pillar, the ground of truth. That's 1 Timothy three fifteen. The church is a pillar, a ground of truth. So we're body, family, branches, truth, and fifth. 1 Corinthians 3.9 God is building a building. He is the builder. We are this building. And we have a foundation of Christ. That We're a living temple. We're, every member of the temple is a living stone. We're a holy temple. This is all over Scripture. Some of the references are 1 Corinthians 3.9 Ephesians 2, 20, 21, 1 Corinthians 3.16 And the Spirit of God dwells in this temple. And so sometimes it gets confused on a Sunday morning and people say things like, this is the house of God. This is God's property. It is. It belongs to him. But there's nothing holy about this building. There's something holy about these people because Christ has made us holy. That's the point of God sending Christ to rescue the church, to make us holy, to to be seen clothed in Christ. We're righteous before God. We're a holy temple as the body, as family, as branches from the vine, as a pillar, ground of truth. And then sixth, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to God. Some denominations would say the clergy or the, the leaders of the church are the holy ones. But Scripture says every individual in the church is a part of this royal priesthood. We are all ministers of the gospel. We are all part of this holy nation. That's this that's what I've just referenced is 1 Peter 2:9. And then seventh, Matthew 5, 13 through 15, and Acts 13, 47, making reference to that. Jesus calls us the salt and the light of the world. And we are to flavor the world. We are to To preserve what's holy and what's true. We are to shine light into the dark places. We are missionaries to this world. And the Spirit empowers us to do that. And it should make a difference. And so it's a separate sermon what salt and light looks like in the world. But that is another part of who the church is. And so I've given you seven ideas, metaphors of what the church is. And now I want you to see there's this picture of the church universal. That what we've described is is applicable to every believer who's ever lived everywhere in the world all throughout history. The church universal That's how we refer to it. There's also this church local and that's what the crossing church is a local church. But it's made up of people who belong to the church universal sinners who are constantly in need of a savior and repentance Christ came, gave himself to reconcile and restore us and restore all things. And everyone who believes is a part of this church, not necessarily this church, but a part of the church and are called to demonstrate and celebrate what the gospel is in all of life. And so we do that in the church local. We do that by partaking in communion. We remember Christ. That's a celebration of the gospel. We do that by having baptism. We celebrate salvation of an individual and representing what has gone on in the heart. And so those are all, or those are both, uh, ordinances of the church because of the gospel. And then we grow as Christ has given us this opportunity to know Him. We grow as individuals and we grow as the church. And when when we see the church local. Uh, Matt Chandler calls it an ecclesiological buffet. I think it's a great way to describe it. When we consider the church local, you can look around Monroe. And what do you see? Churches everywhere. Different flavors, different kinds, different colors. There's churches. And if you don't like the music here, you you can definitely find a church you like the music in. There's so many options. You can get music that's more folky, music that's more... Organ oriented. I don't know what you call that. You can get music that has turntables somewhere, I'm sure. You can search around and you can find music you like. If you don't like the kids ministry, there's options out there for kids ministry. You can have kids ministry that focuses on training children to be missionaries, which is what we're hoping to do here. You can have kids ministry that play great games and feed good food. There's a lot of options. It's an ecclesiological buffet. Youth pastors, pastors that preach too long, pastors that tell funny stories, pastors that dress hipster, pastors that wear suits, tons of options. You feel what I'm saying? The local church has big has become who can attract the most people. And unfortunately, it's strayed far from what we see scriptures call it to be. It's still very much. I still believe that even the churches that are the most heretical There can be a believer in there. I believe it. I'm not saying any one category of these churches is completely non-Christian. There's some who would claim Christ. I don't believe the Mormon church is Christian. There's some who would claim Christ that aren't Christian. But denominations have developed over these men's opinions of what Scripture, either what Scripture says the church should be or what they think is going to attract the most people. And we want to stay tied to what the Bible says the church is. And so this whole series is about what we believe the Bible calls the church to be in the local context. What does it mean for us to be in the 21st century in Monroe, Louisiana, to reach lost people to the glory of God and to celebrate the gospel as the church? In Acts chapter 2, we see a, a good picture of the church and how it functions. And so we're going to read 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 2. And we'll cover next month more detail of, of the relationship um, the church has within the church. Um, but today we're going to talk about the relationship between the members and the leaders. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. As in... <clears throat> sorry. As, in, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see that these people came together to hear the teaching of God's Word. They came together to hear... What is good, what is holy, what is true, what is piercing, what cuts deep, what holds them together. They came to hear the gospel proclaimed. They gathered not only to hear the teachings that they devoted themselves to and to fellowship with the believers that they devoted themselves to, but to break bread and to remember what Christ has done. And it says all came upon their souls that they would think of this God. They would see this gospel and be in awe. They would desire to come together, not to be a part of this event, but to be together, to to break bread, to celebrate the gospel. And they were in awe of the God who made it happen. That's what it means to be here on a Sunday morning. And that's what we should be after. And in this way, we, the people, are members of this body led by a leadership. Ephesians 4, 11-12 says that, These leaders, not just the apostles, and and Acts is referencing these capital A apostles that we no longer have, but these leaders of the church have these gifts and these abilities of apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We shepherd one another, but these leaders have been appointed to to do the over-shepherding, to to do the leading in a way uh, that points you to the Christ who is the shepherd of us all. They lead the church in a way that we point to Christ who is the head of the body. And these leaders are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we're all ministers of the Gospel. We're all ministers of reconciliation. But these leaders were chosen and equipped and gifted to oversee this ministry. And we see this in Acts chapter 14.23. It says, And when they had appointed elders... For them, in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they that they had believed. Acts twenty twenty eight. To the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock, But the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His blood. First Peter five two through four. To the elders, shepherd the flock of God, that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those you're in charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, which is Christ, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So be shepherds so that when the shepherd comes, we'll see what this is about. Be an example of what Christ has done. See to it that you hold these people to believe what is true, not for your selfish gain and not out of of obligation, but for the glory of God that you would be able to rejoice with Christ when Christ returns. And so what does a shepherd do? When you think of a shepherd, you may not be from a farming town. Think back to the years of reading of shepherds. I don't know what you're familiar with. Shepherds lead their sheep from field to field to graze to drink from the water. Shepherds feed. They make sure their, their sheep are fed. They make sure the food is good and healthy so the sheep can grow. They protect their sheep. They, they go after the one sheep that is strayed off. They, they go after them and do whatever is necessary to bring truth to them. Shepherds in the first century would go as far as to break the legs of a sheep that is straying off and then hold them around their neck. So the sheep would learn dependence on the shepherd to know I need to stay close to this man, this man who's there to protect me, to keep me from straying off. And so there should be discipline. There should be hard discipline. Love. There should be everything that's necessary to, to expose the, the, the darkness, to expose the sin, and to reveal truth sets you free. And the shepherd cares for the sheep in every way in protecting them from predators and and, and doing what's necessary to, to bring life to the flock. And that is what this elder will do for the church. And we see it in Scripture that they were given this list of qualifications for the elder, but we see it uh, even in the Old Testament when we're talking about actual shepherds, that what they would do for their sheep. And the analogy works better than most analogies. It can go on and on. What does the shepherd do for the sheep? On our website, we have a list of what leader or a, a couple paragraphs of what a leader is. And this call for a plurality of leaders and I want to just read it to you. You can also find it on the website. It's on the screen right now. It says, Jesus called out 12 men in whom He entrusted His church. This demonstrates a plurality of leadership. Of the 18 times church leadership is mentioned after Christ's ascension, 15 of those denote plurality in church leadership. The other three are made in reference to individuals, but in a plural context. From the... From the birth of the church in Acts throughout its growth, the church leadership is placed in the hands of a group of overseers or elders. The ministry and overall vision of the church will be overseen by elders. They are primarily responsible for the leadership and oversight of the church. As leaders, they give direction and guidance to the church. And as teachers, they seek to preserve the church's faithfulness to the word. So we are leaders, elders are leaders, leaders. And elders are shepherds. Elders are teachers. In 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. I want to read this list of qualifications. And we're not going to have time to really go through it. But I want you to see this general idea of what an elder is. And if you're thinking, okay, I'm not an elder. I don't aspire to be an elder. This doesn't apply to me at all. This matters, okay? It matters that you know why we have elders. It matters that you know what's expected of the elders. You are members, but you call out the elders if they're not meeting these qualifications. You come to us and you say, look, I see this in Scripture. I'm not seeing this in you because it's for the health of the church. So 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, it says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So a lot going on here. And, and really, I would love to just walk through, if the whole sermon could just be walking through that, but there's more to cover. So another time we'll walk through specifically what an elder does and what's expected of an elder. But these men, and we see first that they're men, not just here, but elsewhere. We know that it's not just a cultural thing. Some would say it's just cultural to this context in the first century, but we know it's not that because Paul makes reference when he writes of elders to Adam and Eve. Okay? It's a role issue. It's, not, it's not nothing to do with value or giftedness. Understand that women, there are women who teach better than men. I've heard it. All right? There are women who are certainly better gifted at hospitality and, and some of the things listed here. It's not about giftedness it's or value at all. We're all equal in value. It's about the role of a man and a woman. We must play the role we're created to play. And if not, things get off. Things get, when we're not faithful to Scripture, things get off. Even if you don't see how it could go wrong, it doesn't matter. We have to see Scripture calls it this. God has designed us to be this. And we are seeking to be reconciled to to our, our original identity and these roles matter in that. So you can think of it like a marriage, a husband and a wife. The husband loves his wife and cherishes his wife. The wife respects and submits to the husband. We see those roles clearly in Scripture. But it only works if the husband loves and cherishes the wife, if the husband protects and guards his wife. The woman should not submit out of obligation because she has to, but because she trusts her husband actually cares for her. Because she sees her husband is serving and sacrificing and and submitting to her in necessary ways. The husband is for the good of the wife, so the wife can faithfully submit to the husband. In the same way, we see the role of the elder, the man, the elder, leading the church, and the members of the church can submit to the elder. Who is representative of Christ, the groom? We are his bride, the church. And in that submission to him, we trust Christ is for our good. And and we hope that we can represent this well to the church. That you guys would trust us. So we're not going to have this, everybody, let's vote on what color the carpet should be. We're not going to have this... The system of the congregation making demands on the pastor, because we don't see that anywhere in Scripture. But we will strive to be faithfully for the good of the crossing church. And the hope is that you would trust us with that and call us out when you see us stray from Scripture. And we will present to you, especially the big things, we'll present to you the church for approval but only so we know we're faithfully leading, just like a husband would discuss things with his wife. And we hope that, that that makes sense logically, but more than that, we want you to see that's what Scripture says a pastor is. And so this man we see is not just a man, but it's a man who, who can have life in moderation. He He has this temperance about him. And so there's some things that are explicitly clear. He shouldn't be a man who's... Uh, quarrelsome and a drunkard and things like that. But we need to see that it's it's more about moderation than, than just about the rules for the pastor. So uh, a, an elder can enjoy life, but not sin. In fact, these standards are so far from sin that if he even broke the standard, he wouldn't be sinning. So he can enjoy good food and not be a glutton. He can enjoy good wine and not be a drunk or good beer, whichever he likes. He can enjoy working without being, without being all about making money and neglecting his family and being worn out to the point that he can't serve well. He can enjoy working out and, and, look, and looking good without being in a vain person. He can enjoy sports and hobbies without neglecting life and blowing money. An elder can live his life in moderation and with integrity to the point that reputation is good among the people, but also among outsiders. And so he works hard and he's consistent in his character. And it should be to the point that my neighbors could come. The people who actually live next door to me should be able to come here and hear me say these things and say, yeah, that's true about Kendrick. If that's not the case, then I'm failing To meet these qualifications, I'm failing as an elder, not just to shepherd the flock, but to be a man who's who's that man always and everywhere. And if anyone has anything against the people we would put before you as possible elders of the crossing, you should come forward for the safety of the church, for the good of the church and for the glory of God. And so Jared has been uh, assessed by Summit Crossing, our sending church He's gone through the process of being uh, evaluated to these standards, and he's been affirmed as the first elder of the Crossing Church. Scott and I are in assessment right now for that. And so this is a time for you to to do that. Go to Jared and say, I don't see Kendrick or Scott meeting these. It's not you talking behind her back or gossiping. It's you caring for the church. It's you caring that you're led well. And we want that. We need that. Because things like the Ashley Madison list are real. Pastors all the time are getting caught up in things like like embezzlement or adultery. Because no one is doing this. We need this. The church needs this. We're not perfect. We're not set apart as these extra holy people that are untouchable. That's not who we are. Because first and foremost, we're members of the church. In fact, when we look at this list, we need to see it's not it's not at all about power and authority. It's about the sacrificial servant. An elder is, a, is a, one who's willing to sacrifice for the church. An elder is one who serves before anything else. It should not be about entitlement or arrogance. In fact, that's the furthest thing from what we see in Scripture of an elder. There, it's silly even to say that you're entitled to to something. But that being said, an, an elder should be honored. Not because he's entitled to it, but because Scripture says so. First Timothy chapter five. In verse 17 it says, Let the elder who the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially for those who labor in preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. So everyone is deserving of honor, but we should honor double those who would be willing this noble task of leading and serving and shepherding. I will not come to you and demand you honor me. I may every once in a while get caught up in the moment and say, you respect me, I'm your elder. I'm just kidding. If I do that, slap me, please. I will not demand that you honor me. But it's necessary. It says, you shall not muzzle the ox when he treads out the grain. All right. So again, unless you're from a farming town, you probably don't know what that means. You're like, what? Okay, don't muzzle the ox. Is he going to bite? It, it's, it's making reference to Moses who was talking about an ox when he, when he treads out the grain. This isn't about the ox. Okay, but it's a picture. When he treads out the grain, he's got to eat. Take the muzzle off so he can eat. If you want them to work well, feed them. All it's saying is preachers got to eat. So specifically financially, you should support your elders. Now, Just so you know, this, some of this is awkward for us to, to bring up, but the church should support elders. Now, you may think, of course, we're paying the pastor. That's what we've always done. It's not about what you've always done. It's about what scripture says. You need to make sure your pastor's eating. It's not that he has to drive a Lamborghini. But he needs to eat. He's got. God's got to eat. You feel me? You feel me? All right. So the pastor needs to be fed. So you need to provide for your pastor, but also respect and honor him. Relieve him of the burdens of life so that he can study and focus on Scripture to rightly feed the sheep. So we're doing this for the good of the church, not because he's entitled to this this amount of respect. We should care for. The pastors. I'm saying this as a member. Scott and Jared are my elders, and I I want to, especially weeks Jared's teaching, I want to take everything I can off his plate. And he does that for me, the weeks I'm preaching. We want to care and honor for each other so that it's rightly taught, so that scripture is understood in a way through through word study, through digging into commentaries, through understanding the context, to deliver a sermon that is truth that is applicable, that is good for the church. And so we need to do what's necessary to to relieve him of having to go out and get a full-time job so that he can study Scripture. That's all it's saying. But we believe, a couple convictions we have as the crossing is that we need to maintain employment elsewhere for two convictions. One, we want to relieve the burden of a full salary to us. So partial support is what we expect. And it's not just we're doing it right now because we're a church plant. We intend to maintain that as the church grows, even to the point where we could fully support him or Jared or any of us. We could fully support. We want to maintain this this uh, workforce part time labor, at least for for the reason of relieving the church of the burden of financial support. We see that precedent in Scripture. Paul was a tent maker for that very purpose. He sold tents so that he could relieve the church of the burden of financial support. But also, secondly, we think if we're going to hold you guys to being missionaries, to being around lost people, we need to do that, too. And it's hard when you're working in a, an office with a bunch of Christians to reach lost people. I know I've been on staff at a church. It's very hard to find lost people. Well, OK, we'll leave it alone. It's very hard to find lost people when you're just working in a building with a bunch of Christians all day. So we want to be around people who need Jesus. And and having a job is a great way to do that. So that will always, at least for now, that will always be a part of who we are as the crossing unless we see reasons in the future that we don't see right now to change that. Um, And we see that the City Church in Fort Worth, another church we've connected with, they're doing that. And what we've seen most beautiful about it is they take seriously that passage we just read and they they care for their elders. They have a team of deacons that are excellent at serving the, the people, uh, taking that responsibility that's often put on the elder to, to do all the hospital visits and to, to come over when the baby's born and those kind of things, which we want to be a part of, but if we're hundreds of people, it's kind of hard to maintain that. So so as we grow, we'll see the need for deacons to, to do those kind of things and, and these servant teams we've already established will... will be more and more so we're starting to see a better picture of what this looks like Um, but I also want to make sure we understand these qualifications are not just for the elder all right they're necessary for the elder there's one that's a a gift and teaching so not everyone will have the gift of teaching but when we see when we read these qualifications it's really with the exception of gift of teaching it's applicable to you To every member of the church, we should strive for this. It's similar to a professional athlete. When we see a professional athlete, they're physically fit, right? I mean, they can do things that I can't do because they have their discipline in their practice. They're gifted in their abilities and they work hard to be a professional athlete in the same way. We shouldn't just forget all discipline, forget all taking care of our body because we're not ever going to be a professional athlete. It shouldn't be you throw that all out the door because it doesn't matter to you because you're not a professional athlete. You should work hard to eat healthy and to, to keep your body healthy because it's important. In the same way, we should not excuse ourselves from spiritual health because we don't aspire to be an elder. That's silly, right? We should all work hard to know God well, to discipline ourselves well to the glory of God, to the health of the church. All right. And that being said, leaders are given authority over the sheep. And this is where we tie this into membership. First Thessalonians five, verses twelve and thirteen. We ask of you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Hebrews 13, 17 obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. And as those who have or they were keeping watch over your souls as those who would have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning for that. For that would for that would be of no advantage to you. So we see this need for the people, the sheep, the members to submit to the leadership and I want you to know, as I told you, Scott and Jared are my elders. I want you to know submission to elders is not necessarily an easy thing, but it should be something we enjoy doing because we trust they're for our good. And so I've spent time with these guys. I've prayed with them. We have prayed over you and for you and for God to bring gospel renewal to our city for lost souls to be saved. I've heard them say things they shouldn't say sometimes. I've heard them say things that are I find deeply encouraging because they're pointing me to the gospel. They are holding me to what's true. They're keeping me accountable. I've witnessed them father their children and love their wives. I've seen them live their lives in a way that I can say without any hesitation. I desire to submit to their authority because I know without a doubt they're for the good of the crossing church. And I'm a member here just like you are. It is our hope and our desire that you would see us in that way, that you would have no hesitation in submitting to us. But understand... That just just is if you don't feel like submitting, if you don't want to submit to authority, understand that we don't want to lead a people who refuse to submit to authority because we are accountable for your souls. That is ridiculous that God would give shepherds, people, sinners, just like everyone in this room, his church, what's most precious to him and hold us accountable for it. And so we desire you to submit to the authority, not so that we can hold it over you, not so that we can force you to do things you don't want to do, but for your soul. We care about your soul. I know that's true. And I invite you into my life to spend time with me, to probe and to find out any selfish desire I would have and call it out because I don't want it in there. I desire to be for your good. I desire to lead you well. And I know that's the case for Jared and Scott as well. And this is what Scripture calls us to because that is what God has designed for the church to be healthy, for the people to be healthy, for the the mission that's before us, to the glory of our God so that lost people can know Him to be the good God that we see Him to be. And so as members, again on the website, members, we say we believe all Christians are members of God's family. We also believe it is important to commit to a local church body. We want you to commit to the local church body. Membership at the Crossing Church represents your commitment to collectively live on mission of the mission of God together with our church body in a present context. Together, as a family of servant missionaries, we commit to love one another, build each other up into Christ, engage, equip, and encourage one another with the truth in love and lead others to do the same. And so the whole series is about what it means to be the church. And so we're going to talk more about what exactly this looks like in the sermons to come. But we need you to see commitment to this local body is necessary for any of this to work. So we're going to constantly be after you to covenant with us to this mission, to covenant with us as a church, to be held to what Scripture says a Christian is, and to be held to what we believe the church should be and, and hold these core beliefs to be true. So membership to the local body, especially in how we do it through covenant, is good. It's for the good of the individual, it's for the good of the leader, and it's for the good of the church, all to glorify our God. And, and it's all this is ecclesiology, but there's gospel implications with it. And so this picture of God, the Father, and us, His children, can be lived out with the shepherds and the church. This picture of a husband and his wife can be lived out with the church. And, and when I consider that me as Amelia's husband, as the father of Titus, when I consider the most precious things in the world to me, the things I value more than anything in this world, giving them up to anyone, Handing them over to, to, to be trusted to anyone takes a tremendous amount of sacrifice and it would be an incredible amount of trust in that individual, whomever he, he or she is. For me to trust my family with whoever is what we see God doing with His church and the shepherds. He's still very much a part of this. He's in us. He's among us. He, he empowers everything we do. But God, who came and became a man, and spilled His blood to buy us back, has trusted His church, what's most precious to Him, to the elders, to the leaders. And I want you to know, we take that very seriously. It's not something we're doing to make a good living. It's not something we're doing to to feel important, to have authority, so that people will look to us like, oh yeah, that's the pastor. We... No, this is a noble, noble calling. We know this is a huge responsibility that God will hold us accountable for this. This is not something anybody should want to do to be cool or popular. And we take it seriously. God has entrusted us with the most precious thing to Him. and, And together we put on display, as the church, we put on display a glimpse of the kingdom. And that's exciting that the world would see how God feels about his people. By the way, we live our lives as the church. And so that's ecclesiology. We'll get more into membership when I talk about gospel-centered community. We'll talk more about the kingdom when Jared shares the mission. And, And we'll continue to see what this looks like as we live it out. So, that's your lecture. All right. I say it like that because I really want sermons to be something that brings life. Like I, I hope that the Spirit used that in a way that we can, we can desire to worship right now. And I know that my I don't need to apologize for it. And I, it's always my tendency. Sorry for the lecture, guys. But I really want you to see how beautiful this is. That we would be in awe of God. That He has built this. Long before any of us were here. He knew the Crossing Church would be what it is. He knew who the elders would be. He knows who our future elders would be. When all of us are dead and gone, if the world is still moving, the crossing church will hopefully still be here led by somebody and we'll be in heaven with Jesus cheering it on in awe of our God who's seen all of it before we saw it. And we get to celebrate that. We get to participate in that. It's not about coming to consume. It's about coming to contribute and to worship and to be here in this building on Sunday mornings to praise the God who made all of it happen. So let's do that. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take communion. We're going to give. We're going to do the things that churches do. But we're going to remember all of it's being done because of who we are, because of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for what is good and what is true. We praise You for what Scripture has descriptively and prescriptively given us to see the church and how it functions and how it's structured. We pray that we would hold ourselves to what is true. And God, I pray that You would make it more than about what we do. That even in this moment right now, You'd make real to us who You are, what You've accomplished, and how You are doing a work in us and through us for our good and for Your glory. God, keep us far from becoming like what we fear will become when we focus on our selfish desires. Let us be sensitive to the needs of the church, but constantly pushing forward, holding each other to believe what is true, sacrificing, feeling the pain of sacrifice, but knowing that Christ has sacrificed far more. And let us celebrate that as we see you be, you'll be faithful to add to the numbers. You'll be faithful to grow us in depth. You'll be faithful to build upon the foundation of Christ. We praise You, Jesus. We thank You for saving us. Amen.